Esther chapter number nine, Esther chapter number nine, uh, a fun book. I, I've always enjoyed those uh, post-exile books, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, you know, those books that read stories, they, 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 they describe the events and what's going on in people's lives and you see the hand of God working. You know, we get that bird's eye view because we, we, we get to see the whole story. But you remember, these people lived through these situations, and they didn't know the end of the story. They didn't know what was going to happen. They had to just, by faith, trust God and uh, go through it. And uh, we, we can look at it when we know the end of the story, and uh, we say, well, uh, you know, they, they, I'm glad they trusted God, and, and we see the outcome. Uh, but sometimes when you're in the middle of the storm, uh, it's a different story. As we kind of uh, heard in, in testimony tonight, that's when your faith is really put to the test. That's when you, you find out if you really can say, okay, God's still on the throne. And uh, we're going to trust him regardless. And uh, we see, of course, Esther and Mordecai doing that. In Esther chapter 9 and verse number 4, a statement is made about Mordecai. And I mentioned this morning the title of the message is uh, The Magnificent Mordecai. Uh, just this man who was recognized as a great man. You'll see in Esther chapter 9 and verse number 4, he says, For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces, for this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. This man, who was recognized as a great man, and then through time and over the course of events, it, he waxed greater and greater. I would venture to say, or would like to say, that the hand of God was on him. God blessed him, and over time, God saw, or the people saw, more and more how God's hand was on this man, Mordecai, and God's blessing was on him. And he waxed greater and greater, recognizing and acknowledging God working in his life. The Bible very clearly here expounds for us or extols the greatness of this man, Mordecai, telling us how great he was and that he waxed greater and greater. greater. Uh, what is it about this man? What, what's recognizable or what's something that we could learn from Mordecai that maybe we could apply to our lives? That maybe God could use to help us to be great for his honor and glory and be used of him in a great way. Well, back up a couple of verses. We began in verse number four there, but back up to verse number two. And let's read along here and we'll see in verse number three the description that we're going to draw our thoughts from this evening. But in verse number two, he says, And all the acts of his power and of his might and the declarations of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Medes and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto king Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people, and speaking peace to all his seed. We see this description, these three characteristics about Mordecai that are easily defined and easily applied to our lives. And so the goal or plan tonight is that we would quickly review these and maybe uh, implement them and make them part of our life. As we begin, I want you to understand that God, it is God that rules in the affairs of men. I just want to remind you that it's God that is in control, that God is the one that sets up and brings down, that God 
directs the affairs of men. We could turn over to the book of Daniel and don't for the sake of time, but let me read for you Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 17. He says, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. He setteth up over it the beast, uh, the best basest of men. He said, oh, the basest of men. So he's saying, listen, God is the one that sets men up. Even the man who has what we would look at as the least qualified uh, capability from a human standpoint, God lifts him up. God puts in place. God is the one that makes men great who yield and submit to him. Many are oblivious to this fact and sometimes Christians uh, forget the fact that God really is in control. It doesn't matter who is king right now. It doesn't matter who's holding uh, the highest office in the land right now. It doesn't matter who's running the the local uh, programs, whatever they might be. I want you to know that ultimately God is in control of the affairs of men. That God leads and God directs, God allows, God sets up and God tears down. You know, sir, you might be the leader in your home. By God's plan, you're supposed to be. But can I remind you that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it? You, you, you hold the position, but I want you to know that the power comes from God. That the, the product that we seek or desire as we raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that product is produced by God. Not because we did everything just right or we were so good or skilled as a parent or as a father. You may have some skills and you may think you're doing okay. You may have it all figured out. But I want you to know that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. God has to do the work. You know, sometimes I've seen different people look at somebody else and they, they, they're in their life dealing with what they're dealing with. And they look over here at somebody else and they see this guy that seems like he can't do anything right. I mean, the kind of guy who's, you know, you, you might say his belt doesn't go through all of his loops, you know, or he's, you know, a little few fries short of a happy meal. You know, that kind of a guy, you look over at him and you say, you say, wait, how is it that he has a family that seems like it's going right? How is it that that guy who doesn't seem like he can, you know, get anything correct yet, he's got a wife that, I don't know why, but she loves him and, and she wants to be with him and they're together and they're happy and, and, they're, and his kids are kind of in going, well, how is that? Because, beloved, it's not up to the skills that we have or the abilities that we have. And you might be able to dot all your I's and cross all your T's, but unless God build the house, they labor in vain to build it. I want you to just to try and remind you as we're starting out here that God is the one that's in control. You know, the pastor is the head of the church, but he's only the head of the church under God. It is God's church and God is the one that must build it. He said, I will build my church. The pastor leads and feeds the flock of God and tries his best to, to direct the church in the way that God would want it to go. But God is the one that has to do the work. And we as a people and me as a pastor need to rely on God. Realize it's him. It's not the organization that I might have or the plan or the program we might be able to implement or, oh, look at this new thing we're doing this year. And boy, this is going to really change everything. No, God is the one that brings that about. 
God can do it all. I was looking this week on Facebook, and hey, I'm all for promotion. I'm all for, we, we do, you know, we're having Roundup Sunday, and that's the day to try and round them up. Let's bring them out. Let's get them here for church. I'm all for those things. But I, I saw on Facebook a, a good church. It's a good church. I would go there. Good pastor. Uh, no problems there. He was having a, a, he was promoting his big Sunday. We do the same thing. I'm not knocking him at all, but it kind of struck me as he was doing that. I thought, I thought in my heart, Lord, do we have to have bounce houses and cotton candy and, and, and all of these things to get people to come to church? God, is it what we've got to do? Is this what's necessary for us to build a church that we've got to have something that's going to draw the crowds? God, boy, I just hunger for you to do the work. I just hunger for there to be something that God is doing that people want to come and hear from heaven. They're looking for something from Jesus Christ. They don't need another game or some fancy song or some big bounce house or some big event. They're just coming to see God. That's what I long for. That's what I want God to do. I'm hoping there's a people that are hungry for that and that as a pastor that I long for that. And listen, I'm for promotion. I'm not knocking that. We're going to have Roundup Sunday and we're going to have a dunk tank. If Zach was still here, we would be dunking him. I think that's why he left. He said, I'm out of here. He says, we're, we're done with this. I, I mean, we're going to do some fun stuff. We're going to have some bounce houses. There's nothing wrong with those things. But oh, if that's what we need to get somebody through the doors that we're seriously lacking friend we're seriously lacking because what we need is the power of God we can have fun and God is God wants us to enjoy our time together and laugh and praise him and and rejoice in what he's doing but boy it better be about him not about a bounce house that's what I want you to see and I'm kind of distracted here we got to get back to what we're talking about the magnificence of Mordecai Listen, he, God is the one that does the work, and we've got to rely on him. These three things that are said about Mordecai are for us tonight. I want you to see them. First of all, we see that he stood accepted of his brethren. Verse number three says, For Mordecai, the Jew, was next to King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren. Accepted there translates to or would mean not just that he was accepted, but it literally means to be pleased with, to be satisfied, to delight in. And, you know, you could say it like this. He had an acceptable or pleasing personality. Now, I'm a little short on the personality department. That's, that's known. I mean, there's nothing. I'm not announcing anything nobody knows. And, and you see, God blessed me with a wife that has an abundance of personality. And so we balance each other out. Amen? Amen. That's, that's good. But it's not necessarily what I'm saying. Again, remember, we're talking about it needs to be God that does the work. But at the same time, it wouldn't hurt us to try and work on our personality a little bit. It wouldn't hurt us to try and be acceptable. It wouldn't hurt us to, to try and make an effort to be able to be what this is here, pleasing to others. You know, you want to be seen as great among men. We need an acceptable or pleasing personality. Nobody here should ever say, well, that's just the way I am. They can like it or lump it. Listen, that's not a very good attitude. That's not a very good spirit. 
We, we need to say, listen, if there's something that I'm doing that's rubbing Gus the wrong way, then bless God, Gus needs to get turned around. <laughs> no, that's not the problem. If there's something I'm doing, then we need to talk about it. We need to say, listen, can I change something? Is there something that I'm doing that's, that's creating a problem here? I want to have a pleasing and acceptable personality. I don't want to be just rubbing people the wrong way all the time. We want to work to try and have that. We need to adjust. Listen, it's true. You're not going to please everyone all the time. That's just the fact of the matter. It doesn't matter what you do. You are not going to make everyone happy. But you ought to make somebody happy once in a while. I mean, you know, you ought, there ought to be something there that occasionally somebody's pleased with, your, your, with what you're doing. You know, if not, then there's probably something wrong with you. Something maybe you need to change. I was speaking with one of the men this week, and he was describing somebody in his workplace. And he said, it's just, it's really hard because I can't find anybody that's willing to work with him. He, he's working, and, and everybody knows that he's a jerk. Everybody knows that he, he demands certain things without providing the tools to make that possible. And nobody wants to work with him. And yet, so we're paying him, but he can't do his job because nobody else wants to be there. Well, we shouldn't be like that. As God's people, we should work to have a pleasing personality. Someone might say, well, I'm supposed to please God, and that's all I'm supposed to worry about. But I agree that God is to be our primary focus. We should strive to please him. But I have to believe that if you know your Bible at all, that uh, in an effort to please God, you'll realize that we should also be pleasing to men. Uh, you just take the one another's in the New Testament that we took some time to look at some months ago and see what you're supposed to do for one another. And I think it's pretty clear that we're supposed to work to be pleasing. The Bible says about Jesus Christ that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So if we're going to be like Christ, I think we're going to grow in favor with God. Yes, we should grow in favor with God. There should be some changes in our life that are bringing us into a better standing with God. But at the same time, we want to be brought into a better standing with our fellow man by adjusting accordingly. Are these lights bothering you? Do you guys notice the lights are flickering? Okay, good. They're, they're, if I have seizures when we're done, you'll know why. The lights are up here are flickering really bad. They're bothering me. But if they're not bothering you, we'll leave them alone. I was just going to tell them to turn them off if they're distracting you. But, you know, the Bible tells us we're to honor and prefer one another. We're to love one another. Um, we're, to be, we're to be careful lest we offend one another. We're to forgive one another. And we could go on and, and on with these responsibilities, but, but we ought to be pleasing to one another. You know, some would say, well, if truth is offensive, then there's nothing I can do about that. Well, you know, a lot of times it's not your position that's offensive. It's your disposition. You know, you can, you can stand on truth in fact, the Bible tells us to speak the truth in what? In love. It is possible to have conviction 
It is to stand on principles of the word of God and have compassion for others. And so the first thing we see about Mordecai is that he was pleasing. He, had, he was accepted of his brethren. Secondly, I want you to see that he sought the advancement of his people. We see there, again, in verse number three, he says, seeking the wealth of his people. Now, that word wealth literally means good in every sense. It's not just wealth or an establishment of more money or more income, but it is wealth in the sense of, like we say, man, this is a wealthy nation. And we're not just talking about the money we have, but across the board, we have great resources, we have road infrastructure, we have so many other things that fall into that idea of wealth. And this is what we're talking about here, that he sought the advancement of his people, that seeking the wealth of his people, he wanted them to improve. He wanted them to be better and better. He desired for their improvement and their advancement. I think that's just like our current leaders, right? Yeah, that was meant to be funny. Uh, (laughs) You know, most most politicians, uh, you know, I think maybe when they start out, they, they get in office and their goal really is to try and help. But somewhere along the line, it just, and, and you know what? I don't know if I could do it as a Christian. I don't know if I could do that job, I, to be honest, to try and balance all of that. And, and they got a hard job to do. That's why we're supposed to be praying for them. And so I'm not, I'm not throwing them under the bus, but I want you to know that the goal of any leader should be to be for the advancement of the people. Yep. Whoever that is. Who, whoever it is. You know, you lead your family is not just about you. A lot of times the reason we're, we're concerned or bothered with the way our kids are behaving is not because we see a deficiency or a area of their life that needs to be improved, it's because we're embarrassed about what they're doing. And it bothers us that we're embarrassed because they're behaving so poorly. And that's why we lose our temper. And that's why we fly off the handle and discipline them in a way that we shouldn't. Because the motivation for the correction is incorrect. The motivation for the correction should be, I see something here and I'm seeking the advancement of my child I want to try and help them be all they can be for God. Here's something that's a deficiency. Here's something that's a lack of character that we need to try and improve. And we would discipline them from a point of trying to improve that instead of just change it so I don't get embarrassed. We're supposed to look for the advancement of our people. As a pastor, I pray often, Lord, help me see the potential, not the problem. Because God sees you, each and every one of you, and he knows what he can do through and with you. And in my mind as a human, I may look at somebody and say, oh, I don't think they could ever do this. But I need wisdom from God and help to be able to see what God wants to do with you. And then to strive to try and bring that about in your life for your advancement, to try and help you be the best Christian you can be and to accomplish and, and be fulfilled and do as much as God would have or want you to do. A few years ago, some years ago, there was a group of salesmen that were at a regional sales convention in Chicago, Brother Zach. And uh, they were there in O'Hare Airport. 
They were flying home and they were in a hurry. They were running and they, they ran by a apple cart. In too much of a hurry, they hit the apple cart and the apples that had been so beautifully stacked in a nice pyramid on that cart just started tumbling and they just tumbled and tumbled and pretty soon the apples were all on the floor. Being in a hurry and running short on time for the flight they were about to miss, the men kept on running. All except one. He paused. And for just a moment, he felt a twinge of compassion for the young lady that he saw was caring for that cart. He knew he was running late, but he told the guys, he says, Hey, when you arrive, tell my wife I'm coming on the next flight. And he turned around and he went back to the apple cart. He walked up to what initially he thought would be somebody picking up apples. But he walked up to a 16-year-old girl laying on the floor, or kneeling down on the floor trying to gather apples, and he realized that she was blind. He knelt down there next to her, and he began to pick up these apples and talk to her. He apologized for what they did, and he gathered all the apples up, noticing as he was gathering the apples that a number of them had become bruised and weren't really the beautiful, shiny apples that were in the stack initially. Everyone he found that had a real soft spot on it from having fallen onto the ground, he put into a, another little basket. And when they finished gathering them and put the whole stand back together, he let her know, I have a basket full of apples here that were damaged and I would like to pay for those. He paid for them and apologized again and said to her, I hope that we haven't disrupted or destroyed your day. Please have, have a good day. Don't let what just happened destroy your day for you. And he turned and began to walk away towards his flight, knowing he was going to have to get on standby or wait for the next flight. And as he was walking away behind him, he heard this young 16-year-old girl call, Sir? He paused and turned and looked back in the eyes that could not see him. But he heard her voice when she said, Are you Jesus? He, of course, said no. But he walked away thinking, What a privilege to be mistaken for Jesus. I wonder in our lives if we would ever be mistaken for Jesus. If our compassion and desire for the betterment of those around us would be recognized by others. This was, in fact, the goal of Jesus Christ, was to minister. He came, beloved, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. To give his life a ransom for many. Oh, that we would be like Christ and just desire to minister to others. You know, knowing Christ is more than carrying a Bible under our arm. It's being like him. Paul sets a very high standard for us in his service to others when he prayed in Romans 9, 3, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What a standard. He wished, if he could, 
he was saying he would take hell for you. If there was a way that Paul that could he could bear the penalty for your sin, he's saying, I wish that I could be accursed, that I could be accursed, that they might know Christ. Is your compassion, is our compassion like that? To seek the advancement of their people. Thirdly, we see that he spoke amity to his seed. You say, Pastor Caleb, there you go again with those uncommon words. All right, well, it's very easily defined. It's defined right in the text for you. He says, and speaking peace to all his seed. That's what that word means. It's a little bit deeper than that. It means friendship or peaceful harmony. Speaking peaceful harmony. You know, in our world today, it's pretty rare that you hear something peaceful. This world is a mess. There's division, divisiveness. I mean, it's something on every hand. I mean, it's everywhere. It just seems like a society, we're going to get torn apart by the division that's out there. Nobody can come to a mutual agreement on anything or even agree to disagree. They just want to yell at each other or stand against each other. But here we see that Mordecai was great. Why? Because he spoke peace to his seed. You know, beloved, sin separates. Sin separates us from God and sin separates us from one another. Many times when I'm dealing with a couple with regards to relationship concerns that they might have, by and large, the place we start is, do you know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you're blood-bought, that you're saved, that you're born again, that God is your heavenly Father. That's where we need to start. If that is a yes, then then we go from there and say, okay, now what is it you're pursuing or seeking after in your life? A byproduct of seeking God is you begin to, he says he'll make even your enemies be at peace with you. Right now, you feel like enemies. But you want to have peace in your home, you need to start seeking him. Maybe you're a little bit too concerned about seeking your own desire instead of seeking him. And he'll bring about that peace. Sin separates. We're having problems. We know that only by pride cometh contention. But Christian, we're called to speak peace to all men. Romans 12, verse number 18 says, If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. This really is a great contrast to society today, by and large. Are the words you use, the conversation you have, is that bringing peace? Or is it bringing more turmoil? Is it bringing more stress into people's lives? Is it creating more problems? We need to ask God to... uh, Put a watch before our mouth. Help us to be careful what comes out of this. That we might let him use us. People would see Jesus in us. That they would see the peace that's available in and through Jesus Christ. Instead of the turmoil of this world. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. Is that what we're following after? Things that make for peace, things that edify, things that strengthen. Mordecai was magnificent. He was recognized, we know in the text, it said great. Over and over again, 
God chose to tell us that this man was great. And he became greater and greater among his kinsmen. Why? Well, the three things that are given to us here are clear. That he stood accepted among his brethren. He had a pleasing personality. He worked to try and be accepted. He just didn't, he just didn't say, well, that's who I am, like it or lump it. Just get over it. You can love me the way I am or love me not at all. I mean, that's kind of a, the world's mentality. But maybe, maybe it would be good to, if I need to adjust something. Are, are you willing to do that? Yeah. Willing to say, you know what, I'm willing to adjust that I might be more acceptable. I mean, we don't, we don't compromise. I'm not talking about changing your standards or dropping your convictions or not seeking or following after God. That's not the things we're talking about. But you know there's some things we can adjust that make us more pleasing. We don't, we don't have to be a jerk about things. He sought after the advancement of his people, really in, the, in, in honor preferring one another. It means giving honor to others and letting them go first and seeking their advancement instead of our own. Well, what a contrast that is to society today. And then speaking empty to his seed, his family, his generation, those around him, bringing peace to them. This is what was recognized as great in Mordecai's life, and I hope that it's part of our life.